Welcome to Interlocutor Interviews. I'm Tyler Nessler, the founder of Interlocutor Magazine, which features in-depth coverage of creators, thinkers, performers, and artists of all types. You can check us out online at interlocutorinterviews.com. And if you're a fan of our arts coverage, you can sign up to be a subscriber or contributor via Patreon. Just click on the Patreon link on our site. So today I have with me artist Siobhan McBride. Uh, Siobhan was born in Seoul, Korea and adopted to the U.S. as an infant. Uh, she grew up in Bayside, Queens, and currently lives in Staten Island. Um, she received her MFA from the University of Pennsylvania in 2005. She received residency and grant support from LMCC's workspace program, Gentel, uh, the Vermont Studio Center, Roswell Artist and Residence Program, Marble House Project, and the list goes on. <laughs> it's a long list. Um, and as an overview of her work, I'm just going to start off by reading a quote um, that she wrote that's currently up on the CUNY Shirley uh, Fitterman Art Center website. And so she writes, The paintings present views of a place that is intimate and familiar, yet strange. It is airless with sound tamped out. Shapes locked together, tectonically tense, creating a sense of anxiety and anticipation, only to slip past one another like playing cards. I want the scenes to feel full of potential energy, as if the space is prickly with static, charged with the anticipation of an encounter or blushing in its aftermath. The paintings are depictions of weird and quotidian experiences, things caught in the corner of my eye and an attempt to conjure slippery memories. I hope this the work is uneasy and suspenseful, like the excitement of, of exploring a new place and the thrill of knowing you are drifting back into a frightening dream. In my estimation, the private rooms that I know best expand well beyond their concrete dimensions through the process of memory, daydream, and distraction. Folded into their plan, or I'm sorry, their plain reality are past experiences both significant and trivial, mental rehearsals for future incidents, clutter, and caches. They work aims to illuminate this uncanny phenomenon of domestic minutia unfolding into entire worlds. <laughs> so I think to me, the, the reason why I wanted to quote that is I just felt it was a, it was a, a good distillation of sort of the vibe that I get from your work when I'm looking at it. Um, and I should mention that, uh, Siobhan and I did an interview for the online magazine of Interlocutor back in September of last year. So we'll be referring back to that from time to time, um, kind of bouncing off that and uh, kind of expanding on what we had talked about. So with all that said, let me shut up and welcome Siobhan. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> so, uh, well, first off, I just want to um, mention that you had a solo show at another gallery down on Henry Street in Lower Manhattan. Um, so congrats on that. That just closed, right? Yep. Um, and that was your first solo show in New York. I think it was, you'd mentioned, in a decade? Yeah. Almost. Yeah. I showed a nurture art in 2013, so it's been a very long time. And I just want to say um, another gallery just changed their name. Now they're long story short. So on January 1st. You know, that's funny because I was just looking at them online and I'm like, wait a minute, long, or, or I looked, yeah, I looked them up on Google Maps too because I, I, just to remember exactly where they were. And I see a long story short. So, <laughs> yeah, there was okay. another gallery in Denver, I think, that had that name. Another, and that's kind of a, a just having the name another gallery is kind of tricky in a lot of ways I too. It, so I'm sure, I'm sure they had their reasons uh, for changing it. Um, but yeah, for me personally, it was wonderful just to see your works in person because, you know, as you say it, you know, in, in, in kind of that statement that I just quoted, they, they have this sort of quiet tension to them that really, to me, that really pops when you're standing right in front of them. Um, so, you know, first of all, uh, as you'd mentioned, it feels, it feels good to be showing again, um, how was it? Was it also kind of nerve wracking in a way to, to have your work presented like this, just in a, in a solo setting and, and have people seeing it again and talking about it again after the, a long period? Um, it, yeah, I was very nervous. I mean, I, I've, I had a couple of 
two solo shows in 2018. Um, but yeah, I haven't shown in New York in a, in a very long time. Um, and the last time I, I showed in New York, I got my, my first bad review. <laughs> oh. uh, um, so I, you know, just a little gun shy about putting the work out again, but very excited to do so. Um, uh, and I think the gallery was just a really good fit in terms of, you know, the size. It was just like the perfect scale for my work. So I'm yeah. very excited. Um, and I just, I felt like my practice was a good place to, to put the work out there again. So yeah. I was very excited for the opportunity and it was great to work with Stavrula. I, I met her just on Instagram. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. And she, she knew Will Lalong, who runs that space and runs ATM. Yeah, it is a good space. It was a good size, I think, and kind of layout for the work. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, they, they consigned like something like 30 paintings and we only got to show those 12. So it was, hmm. and it, which enabled us to have like a really nice tight hang, you know, and trim all the fat right off. So it was, <laughs> it was great. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I, you know, I hadn't thought about like, you know, shows kind of editing shows, what you put in shows and, you know, the, the thought that must go into that and how hard it must be to kind of, take into consideration what not to include. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I will say that <clears throat> I um, was introduced to your work just by one piece called always means never not, which was at uh, untitled space mm. in a group show um, maybe a couple of years ago. Sure. Sure. And you know, so this, this work uh, it, it's a dresser with a mirror, right? And, um, I w- my eye was was really quickly drawn to it because it's this kind of domestic scene and it's a little messy. You know, there's like a wine bottle, there's pill bottles, there's, you know, just uh, stuff strewn around. Um, and then another thought, part that I thought was really cool is there's kind of a reference to a mirror selfie, right? Because there's this sort of shadowy figure in the mirror, which I thought was interesting, you know, um, uh, because... I don't know if you could call that meta in a way it's sort of referencing a lot of, you know, social media images, but it was, you know, rendered in this, in this painting. So anyways, that's what really kind of initially fixated my interest and wanted to, you know, make me look up your work and kind of file that away. Hmm, this is somebody I might want to talk to later. Um, but I will say, so in, in our original interview, you, you also wrote about how, um, shapes locked together, tectonically tense, uh, creating a sense of anxiety and anticipation only to slip past one another, like playing cards. And you, you know, you want the, the, the scenes to feel full of potential energy. And one thing that is really present to me in your work is these sort of skewed perspectives. It's almost like you're, you're, you're seeing a portrait of like accumulated time. Does that seem like a valid way to sort of interpret your work like a, a portrait of accumulated time wow um <laughs> i i haven't thought of of it in those terms exactly um but but i i do kind of consider the scenes as like a paused moment in a continuum of incidents um yeah so yeah. i so, think that's what i mean yeah you yeah. know it, it it's sort of like um there's a fluidity to time you know, like, and, and what, what, what's interesting, you know, there's this tension, the, 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 whatever, the juxtaposition, I think that makes, that makes them really jump out because other, you know, because a lot of them are these, these, these very quiet. And as you said, kind of quotidian domestic scenes, a lot of interiors, living rooms, bedrooms, hallways. Um, and I would say almost like kind of a liminal aspect to them, like a transitional space happening and, and kind of because you have like, um, I don't know how, you know, I do want to also mention to listeners that, um, I'm going to put up a page, um, for this interview, um, with the, the player embedded so you can play it that way. Um, and also I'll, I'll include links to your site, your Instagram. We can also include some images, you know, so it's hard, it's hard to talk about visual art, especially if somebody has not actually seen the pieces. So I always include a page with the images so people can refer to that. Um, go ahead. A lot of the paintings, um, definitely have, uh, little compartments embedded within them. Mm-hmm. So in that, in that one that you're mentioning there, you know, there's the mirror and that can kind of act as a portal into another space, but usually the paintings have you know, paintings or uh, other like composed ideas within the larger image. Um, and that's a, a feature that's been pretty present for the last few years, for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, so let's see. Um, you had said that your works incorporate paper on panel and, and that is a big part of your process basically and your technique. And so what attracts you to that technique in particular, like in, especially in the sense of what you're trying to convey, you know, with the, the tone and the content of your work? Um, so I work with acrylic gouache and gouache always is nicest on paper. So, so that's why I use the paper. You know, I've tried it on, you know, um, golden absorbent gesso, which is this gorgeous gesso that's meant to mimic paper, but still nothing is exactly the same as, you know, nice hot press. With meaning that it's very smooth paper, mm-hmm. uh, watercolor paper. Um, and then the process involves a lot of masking with tape. And so I draw out shapes on a field of tape. I, I've been using scotch tape a lot. It's a, like very affordable and there's like no sticky residue um, or like oily residue rather. Uh, so when I'm cutting out shapes, I'm using an X-Acto knife. So if I don't have a panel behind it um, – you know, I'd, I'd have like a very holy sheet of paper. So the paper on the panel ends up just being the best substrate for the technique. And, um, you know, it's really an accumulation of like these tiny shapes and just making one shape after another, after another, right. um, you know, and as like a teacher, I'm always telling my students, you know, bring up the whole image at once, you know, develop the whole scene at once. But um, on these paintings, they're really shape by shape, like little increment by little increment and yeah. accumulating in that way. Um so it's a very a very slow uh, process, and, I, and it reveals itself really quite slowly. Um, it's almost like you know building a, a brick wall, brick by brick, rather than like something um, coming together and clarifying out of murky water or something like that. Yeah, and you know um, that's what I really enjoyed about seeing them in person because you see there because there is uh, you know uh, it's not a flat surface. You know when I'm looking at the images digitally. You, you don't, you don't get the, the, the kind of, there, there, there's just a, there, there's more, um, you know, dimensionality to it because you see the, you know, the different textures and, 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 you know, uh, on the surface. So, um, I think, I think that method works really well in terms of, you know, what you're attempting to convey with the work. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. When you see them on, <clears throat> online, uh, you, you miss so much of it, you know, um, I kind of think that the surface looks like, um, tiered uh, agriculture like rice paddies because they're really flat surfaces but they have like an edge that some oh, some levels are higher some levels are, levels yeah. are slightly lower um so it, it feels like a landscape in that way like like you're floating over it on a low low lying plane yeah like just yeah. shooting over the surface um and that's my favorite way to experience them actually very very close the image is kind of i mean the image is obviously very important but it's kind of secondary to that surface right and the kind of pleasure of that surface. And also the surface, you know, it's uh, the gouache is very tender because it's very matte, um, very highly saturated and very matte. Um, but the the process is really aggressive because I'm cutting with knives the whole time, you know, so it's like, you know, piercing and abrading the surface. So it's like a really, <laughs> um, it's a really clumsy surface that ends up coming together in a way that makes it look a lot more refined, I think, than it actually is. It's it's kind of clumsy on like a step by step level because I'm just yeah. like cutting these like blunt geometric shapes out, um, and I'm like just abusing <laughs> abusing the surface with this knife constantly and picking at it with tweezers. Like I'm a real nail biter, so it it really uh, <laughs> satisfies that that urge. Um, I love this because you know um, you know your images, especially when you just look at them online digitally, there is such a calmness to them, and so you would you would never. Or at least I wouldn't suspect that there's, you know, an aggression, <laughs> aggressive like approach to creating these. Um, so I, I love that element of it. Um, one thing that I had at, that I'd asked you about. Um, well, first of all, um, originally I'd mentioned there's almost no people, mm-hmm. uh, in your work, but there are animals and especially cats. <laughs> and you had said, um, Animals are seen more often than humans, uh, or, or I had said this, <laughs> animals are seen more often than humans in your work. Um, and then they're, they're often the remnants or depictions of animals. Like you have a lot of figurines, a lot of busts, mm-hmm. like, and also skulls and bones. Um, so I'd ask what, what you'd like, what, you know, was your attraction to displaying animals in those ways? And how does that kind of fit the overall tone of your work? 
I just um I don't know. Uh animals <laughs> feel like more more vehicles for for magic than than humans can. Humans feel like so flawed, like we we feel like a blight <laughs> on the planet where whereas animals, you know, they they seem much more magical and potential uh, they have potential for like great insights. Um and they you know, they they do what they they want, you know, um right. and we we just try to like they are domestic animals, right? We just kind of get the pleasure to to interact with them. But um I just I have a cat that I adore and you know I I'm very committed to my domestic life so yeah. uh, she plays a huge role. I mean she she's part of everything so I mean I'm you know a crazy cat lady I guess in short. <laughs> um Well you just have one cat? Yeah, just the one. I mean I I, I don't think you're in crazy cat cat lady territory. It was just one cat. <laughs> oh, I used to yeah, I used to have another one. But um I don't know. I'm just very fond of animals and you know love to try to imagine the world through their eyes and what well, you you had said that you cat well cats are you know, said to be telepathic and able to see into other dimensions they have you know access instinct and insight that we just lack <laughs> yeah yeah well so what's your cat's name by the way lilcy lilcy yeah she okay. was um a foster failure uh, oh. And when I got her, she she had this horrible upper respiratory infection, so she was like covered in this plaque of snot. <laughs> so she, she was just like this tiny oh. little, like very sick creature. Um, and she's just you know got very better and is a very quirky weirdo and just like the love of my life. And I don't know, she she has to get in the paintings because they're all about you know the most. Do, do, do you think that she's? To me. Do you think she's aware on some level that she's a star in a lot of your paintings? Oh yeah, she, I mean everything <laughs> is hers, and everything belongs. All the paintings are hers, so <laughs> yeah, she's well aware. <laughs> I love it. Um, so I, I had also asked you uh, about your influences stylistically and thematically. Um, you'd mentioned Bernard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You love the way that uh, they use color and. Uh, the way he uses a figure like furniture simply melts the person into a wall. So I, I can see the influence with that. Um, and then I wanted to, you know, you, you brought up um, Michelangelo Antonioni, the filmmaker as a, yeah. as a big uh, influence, which is, you know, uh, struck me right away because he's one of my favorite filmmakers. And there is also this kind of quietude to, to his work. Um, you know, he did that, that, that trilogy, yeah. right? The trilogy of, uh, mo- modernity and its discontents, right? <laughs> I think that's called the isolation trilogy. Isolation trilogy. Yeah. yeah. Um, La Aventura, La Nate, and La, La Clice. Yeah. Um, and all, all those characters, they, they never seem to really connect with one another. They, you know, it's, it's, no. it's so much like they're trapped in their own body. It's that idea, like you're trapped in your own body and you can never fully know somebody and they're all, you're always isolated on this island, you know, no matter how intimate your experience is with that person, you still never quite know them. And I, I mean, that's so painful, but like so interesting and uh, so isolating and it, well, yeah, and but then and then also, you know, just cinema, with the cinematography and the way that it's all rendered, there's kind of a beauty to it. Yeah. Um, well, there's definitely a beauty to it, you know, um, with that isolation. Um, and, and scary. Like. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. The yeah. quiet moments aren't like peaceful and and no. restful. They're they're usually quite charged and tense and fearful. Like uh, I don't remember which film. Maybe it's Leocles, but there's this shot of a plain wall with a closed shutter with like a very little sliver of uh, negative space. That's a, like a little bit of an alley. And it's just scary for some, the presentation of it. So plainly yeah. and simply and flatly, you know, you don't know what's going inside, but you can only own what's going on inside, but you can only imagine that it's grim <laughs> or, yeah. or, you know, uncomfortable in some way. And I think that's really fascinating. And so when did you get into Antonioni? Was this before you really dove into visual art or? Probably in graduate school. um, I went to UPenn and, you know, you could take any class in in the college. Um, And so like a a number of the, my fellow uh, grad students to, in the, in the in the program that I was in, took this class, this Italian film class, all together with this woman, P- Professor Penny Marshall, and she was phenomenal. And we got to see all these amazing films, and that really um, piqued my interest about Antonioni specifically. Oh, nice! Was yeah. Penny was 
Did you say was Penny Marshall a filmmaker? That name sounds familiar. Penny Marshall. I hope I'm getting her name right. I, I'm googling it right okay. now. Okay. <laughs> she, um, she wasn't a filmmaker. Uh, I think. Uh, I think she's American actress, director, and producer. So maybe it wasn't to, Penny Marshall. It was another uh, Penny. It was another <laughs> Penny. Oh no. Oh, because she was in. We're talking about the Penny Marshall. It was in Laverne and Shirley. Sure. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't her. It wasn't her. <laughs> okay. All right. Some different Penny Marshall. Different, maybe not even Marshall. Maybe just Penny. <laughs> um, but and I'm I'm very sad to not remember her name. I haven't thought about uh, that class in a really long time. But um, it was it was really fun. It, there were all these complet students in it, um, and there was also this contingent of MFA uh, MFA candidates. And all the complet students were like insanely smart and like talked about the content like yeah. in a completely different way. So it was like this these two factions in the class that it was a really compelling class not um, warring factions no like no factions <laughs> no just like very interesting to to see yeah um people coming at the films from very different directions yeah like they had all this really rich and specific background and they were making all these references across you know literature and film and music and right. um we, we were t- looking at i think the the film's m- much more in a formal way a lot of the time like talking about like shots and color yeah um well, you know, you, oh, for sure. And well, um, there, you know, looking at your work, I, I can't help but think of animation. You had also mentioned, uh, Miyazaki. Oh, yeah. As a, as an, you know, somebody. Lifelong yeah, love. Yeah. Lifelong <laughs> love. Um, and I think it would, I, I don't, you know, I don't know if this would ever happen, but there's something about your work because of the, 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 the fluidity to it that I think would be interesting you know, to see like an animated version of it. Sure. Um, has that ever crossed your mind? It has. It has, <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, you know, in, in graduate school, I, I was looking at a lot of William Kentridge and made these um, stop motion charcoal drawings. Oh, you know? cool. Um, but you know, it, it wasn't. It wasn't for me. It wasn't for me. Um, mm. uh, it was kind of like how how writing wasn't for me. Like. You, something that uh, progresses over a time period, you have to have a story, you know, and you have to have like a plot of some yeah, sort or like some yeah. sort of arc. Um, and I never, that was never my, my strong, strong point. I wanted to like concentrate everything that I could do in one still moment. Um, hmm. it, it felt like having to be responsible for like a series of images in a row would, I would be, it would dilute my intention somehow. I just didn't, couldn't get my head around how to make that good. Um, That's fine because it could, be, it could still be abstract. It wouldn't, you know, you could still have, you know, uh, animation obviously and not without any kind of narrative yeah, per that's se. True. Um, that's true. But yeah, I, well, this leads, this leads nicely into what I was going to ask you because you double, you double majored in, in art and English. And, you know, so I, I, I had asked you originally how you thought your studies in, in literature combined with visual art complementing each other. And, and yeah, you had said that you were, you know, you were impatient with the puzzle of stringing together a meaningful narrative with an arc. Um, and, you know, you, with painting, whatever narrative you want to tell is available, visible all at once. Yeah. And that gets back to what I was saying, where I feel like when I look at your work, I'm looking at kind of, multiple events happening at once or, sure. or sort of like this sort of almost quantum physics, like portrait of like this accumulation of time, because I feel like, I don't know, in, in, in interiors, especially domestic spaces that have uh, the, like uh, the, 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 what, what is it? The de- detritus, the leftovers of people without actually seeing the people, you feel the sense of their presence and yeah. accumulated like emotions or occurrences. And so there's, there is that, that, that kind of weight. And so there is kind of a narrative happening, but, sure. but it's, yeah, it's not beginning, middle and end It's sort of, uh, you know, every, well, there was that film that came out <laughs> last year, every, everything, everywhere, all at once. Did you see that? No, I didn't. <laughs> I, I really wanted to, it's on my, it's on my list for sure. That kind of touches on like, uh, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. Um, I personally kind of have mixed feelings about it. A lot of people loved it, but, um, it did, it was very ambitious in the sense that it was trying to capture the sense of like multiple realities and dimension, dimensions kind of coexisting at once, you know, and and sort of blending, blending together. So yeah, um, your background 
in 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 English, I think, um, made you realize what you did want to do in terms of storytelling, but you found a kind of a way to um, express a form of narrative visually. Yeah, I mean, there's always like a lot of little zones in the painting. I want I want like one of your imaginatively enters the painting to have options um, and to have like different places where they can go. Um, but also like all the compartments are a lot about just, you know, like I mentioned in the written interview about distraction and just like how you, you know, you can stare at the wall and like go into the past or stare at the wall and go into the future. Right. Um, and how all those experiences get layered on top of one another. Like when you, you know, when you wake up in the morning in the middle of a dream and then you fall back into that dream and you experience that dream in a slightly different way by like waking up in the middle of it, like that kind of layering sure. of, of um, awarenesses is like such a wonderful experience and such an interesting and uncontrollable experience. Like, you, you know, you can't anticipate how that's going to feel or what kind of narrative is going to um, layer on top of another one. Right. Unless you're one of the few people that can lucid dream which I've never been able to do, but <laughs> I'm jealous. I don't of know if I've who, ever tried intentionally. I think there are, you know, there are, there are methods that you, can, that you can, you know, uh, incorporate to do it. I've never actually tried it, but I've known people who claim that, Oh yeah, I can control my dreams, which has got to be strange. It's like you're in some kind of video game that you, <laughs> you're controlling. Um, when you, when you fly in your dreams, <laughs> like, don't you sometimes feel like you can make the flying start to happen? Like, if it's a flying dream, you know and, that's you know what, you what's funny um, is I don't I can't ever remember having a fly. I know that's like oh, a very really? common wow. dream, and honestly, I can't I can't think of I mean consciously remember ever having a dream where I've I've been flying. Mm. So I don't know what that says about my psychology, but <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it too much. <laughs> I'm always curious to how um, how people fly in their dreams because some people like just do it with ease and just like float right. up like whenever i try to fly in a dream it's very challenging and i'm just like failing out of a, at a lot like, like actually I, flapping your arms too. no i no. <laughs> but there's certain uh, like a body movement that i have to get better at in the dream to like actually launch you know so it's like a challenge yeah. <laughs> a challenge even in my dream state um love it yeah well you know dreams they're 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 so they're so mysterious and 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 bizarre and and have their own kind of weird logic to them um but that's a whole other topic but yeah. one thing that really strikes me too about dreams at least for me is how quickly you forget them oh instantaneously you know yeah. like i'll wake up and i'll be like you know i know that i have had some like three or four hour long epic movie narrative dream that i only remember fragments of that i just had where does that go? You know, <laughs> back beneath. Yeah, I don't know. I I actually really love um, the feeling of of a, a scary dream and waking up with that kind of like cold sweat panic. There's something about it, like something really exciting just out of reach that you know you were so engrossed in, but yeah. that's totally ripped away all of a sudden. Like that sensation, I think, is like so interesting. I don't have that many dreams anymore. Um, I wish there, I, I, re, I heard somewhere in a podcast, if you want to have a lot of dreams, you just drink a lot of water right before bed because then it forces you to wake up. Um, and it's in the waking up <laughs> where you have access to the, that oh, dream. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's a technique I haven't heard of. <laughs> that's cool. Um, well, you know, since we're talking about dreams, is there any particular piece that you have that you feel is the most dreamlike or kind of has some kind of a, like a very dreamlike narrative aspect to it with the like dream logic? Um, I guess the one there was one in the show with with my cat, and it was a living room scene. Um, in the show, there are not a lot of paintings that are um, a, a single. Well, most of them are single cohesive spaces, but mm -hmm. that one has like a a few different spaces kind of cobbled together, you know, drawn from very different source material and forced to live together. So there's like yeah. a living room scene, but then there's also a window that kind of pops up anomalous, <laughs> sorry, I can't speak anomalously on the bottom right-hand corner. Oh, I, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's called little, little C in yeah. the living room, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that one and that <clears throat> way of like pulling together really disparate imagery, which I used to do all the time, uh, feels very dreamlike. But it's also that idea of distraction, just that you're in a moment, but you're thinking of other things. And so those experiences become layered on top of one another. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, no, yeah, this, this stream, well, well, I, I, this, this work is like probably the closest to like a surreal piece that I've seen. Mm. You're like, like in term, like, you know, pure surrealism because of the, oh, that particular, yeah, that particular piece, little, little C in the living room. Yeah. I mean, working that way when you're piecing together a lot of different source material, it, it's so hard to have it come together. Cause I often feel when I'm working that way, I'm just throwing imagery at the painting. Like yeah. maybe it needs a window, maybe it needs a <laughs> chair, maybe it needs a per you know, like, and trying to, and you don't know until it appears in the painting and, and you know, interacts with the other stuff that's already there. So it's like really like a lot of chance and intuition yeah. uh, that goes into that process. It's a much more frustrating process and those paintings take a lot longer to resolve. But when they come together, it's like, and it works, it can be very, very strange <laughs> in an interesting way, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's getting into whatever uh, is appealing about, you know, um, you know, the, with dreams and themselves with your subconscious. Right. Sorry. Um, I wanted, so one thing that, um, I wanted to ask you about is there is some humor in some of your pieces. I think there's kind of a whimsical humor, um, especially, so there's this one piece escape room, right? Um, which is like one of those claw games. <laughs> and then, um, this other one that, that I wanted to ask you about is called love locks and cable cars. Mm. You know which one I'm talking about? That's the um the drum machine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And and so it it and and there's Korean writing and it looks like some kind of wild like video game with uh drums and then it says ring a ding ding and and so is this actually well just talk about this like what what is what what are you depicting here? Oh, that that's from um the trip I took to Seoul last summer. Um and there were these, there were tons of arcade games everywhere and yeah. um we played a lot of them and they were extra fun because most of the time we didn't know what was going on. So we, you just did stuff and hoped that it would get some sort of, um, it would be the right thing or even the wrong thing would be fun. Um, and I just thought the, that game in particular was so beautiful, um, and, and bizarre. And it really felt like, you know, it had a lot of personality, felt like a character. Um, uh, and it was just, it felt like something right out of like a Miyazaki movie right in the bathhouse spirited away or something it was a very strange entity <laughs> well yeah you know it, it it kind of invites you like you you want to just walk up and start pounding the drums yeah you know? and you that's what you do because they're <laughs> yeah, the, the, yeah yeah it's really fun yeah i love it um well so yeah, that's a little I, scary it was like a very aggressive kind of game <laughs> um you know <laughs> visually it's very quite overwhelming um as well as being pretty fun well, that kind of sounds like it in your wheelhouse, though. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, work. yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Well, so so speaking of Korea, um, uh, you have um, some other works that you said you these are fairly recent, right? Did you say it was last summer? Or? Yeah, I went to Seoul in uh, last June. Okay. And all, all the Korean paintings—they're pretty much from like this fall. Made them in the fall. Okay. Yeah. And and was that your first visit to Korea? It was. It was. It was the very first time I went back. I was born there, mm-hmm. um, but I had never taken a trip. And I think I'll go back a lot now. I I really feel like I should have gone back earlier. Um, but it was quite remarkable. I tried to. I'm adopted. I tried to find um, any biological family. Um, and I had planned the trip for a long time. And before I went back, I, I found out that my biological mother was no longer alive. But I got mm. to go to the adoption agency in Seoul that my parents worked um, with. And I met with this woman there who showed me my file, which was, like, really thick. Oh, wow. And it had, like, every document my parents had filled out, you know, with my my father's handwriting. And he passed away, you know, in 2015. So mm. it, was, it was so – uh, meaningful to see his his writing again. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, he went to like Catholic school, so he had this very specific, really gorgeous um, penmanship. Um, and just to see something that he touched in this moment when you know, when he was trying to adopt a baby, it was it was a really uh, powerful experience. And like when I went, the woman addressed me by my Korean name, which I I'd really never, no one has ever called me my Korean name before. Um, it, it was very it was very emotional. It was in this like totally nondescript kind of uh commercial building hmm. i yeah but um it was a really powerful experience yeah no i can imagine and you're so the works that i've seen um they're they're 
well, aside from the, the, the game, um, there are street scenes. And so I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce these, this name, but one of them, the first, the first part is a Korean, but it's Nightwalk. Oh, Jung Nogu. Yeah. Jung Nogu. Yeah, my Korean is not good. I'm learning <laughs> Korean right now through the uh, Korean Culture Center. Um, I'm taking lessons with my partner and it, it's, it's so humbling. It's, it's very, I think it's very healthy to, I'm a teacher, so it's very healthy to be a student and like kind of a bad student. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's so challenging, but really fun to learn. It's a beautiful language and the characters are really fun to write. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, Jung No was this, Neighborhood we stayed in for part of the time. And then also the snack run. <laughs> yeah, mac- macaulay is a, a fermented, I think it's a, a rice-based beverage, mm-hmm. um, but it's becoming really popular right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually has really good probiotics for your, you know, for your stomach and stuff. But um, I think the, the macaulay that they import into the States gets pasteurized, so it doesn't have like those, the, the probiotics. But um, it's like this weird, slightly chalky, milky, uh, slightly effervescent beverage yeah. that we just had a lot of when we were in ah, Seoul. It's like right. a very interesting taste. I'll have to try that. It's yeah. good, yeah. Cool. Um, and it's like low low alcohol, actually. Like lower than like beer. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, well, you know, so speaking of these street scenes, I wanted to touch also on, because, you know, we've talked a lot about your interiors, but then you have some, you know, like exterior and, and almost like landscape works. Um, one that is a favorite of mine, um, is a streetscape spotted lanternfly graveyard. <laughs> and there's something about this, this, I don't know. I feel like I'm sitting out on a balcony, like, um, smoking, even though I don't smoke, um, <laughs> or maybe, you know, I don't, I don't smoke tobacco, but, um, you know, looking out at the street and there's just this lovely play of light and shadow. Um, and so when you do these exterior shots, um, is there a difference in, in your approach with, with your technique or are they challenging in different ways compared to the interior scenes? Um, I don't think I approach them any differently. That one was a view through glass. A lot of the, the paintings have some sort of flat barrier that you're, um, forced to look through, like with the claw claw painting escape room you know you have the glass surface there are often like windows or like rectangular voids that you can like enter psychologically um but you know that that's looking from a a window you know that was during the pandemic where uh you know we were indoors a lot so that was my main experience I, i love looking out the window i can watch the window like it's television i think it's fascinating um and, and our, we have a very rundown apartment, um, but we have this nice sunroom that, that it feels like the sunroom is going to like fall off the house any day soon. And like <laughs> one winter, like all the windows blew in, like literally just blew in the house. And so we had like, oh, wow. no, yeah, it's like all the windows don't fit because it's such an old house. But, um, but yeah, that was from the pandemic and just like a lot of experiences of looking outward and not going outside. Um, and that was also the summer where we had like so many, Lantern flies just inundating the neighborhood. Oh, and they right. were so fascinating because they looked totally out of place. They don't yeah. look like anything you've ever seen. Have you, you, uh, you've run into them. Yeah. The, those are the, the, the red with the black spots. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're yeah. gorgeous. And people, well, there was an infestation last summer, right? And, or yeah. I guess it's been a recurring thing. Yeah. They come back and they, back. they destroy all the, all the fruit trees. They're, I was seeing kind of like, a blight, but posts online you know if you like with pictures of them if you see one of these you know kill them immediately yeah you're supposed to stomp them yeah yeah but they're but they're so but they're so beautiful <laughs> i can't do it they're too big they're, they're kind of they're almost like mammals they're they're too big they're too pretty um yeah i can't do it uh and it, i can't honestly believe that it would make a huge difference but it but i guess if a lot of people are doing it, it's beneficial to some degree well, you know, talking about looking out a window, um, this is pre-pandemic, but I'm looking at your piece, Tarantula Suicide, mm. which looks like it's a view out of a window. Yeah, that painting, actually, I I, I made that painting in 2012, and then I, I realized that, like, the whole top half was 
not working. So I repainted that whole top half and left oh, that. Wow. that yeah. So I finished that one in 2019. I've never done that before with the painting. That was like a weird, but I, I noticed the dates on that. I'm like, wow, that's a long <laughs> 2012. Yeah. 2019. Yeah. But the, that top portion is from New Mexico. Um, yeah. I was going to say that doesn't, that, that doesn't year. look East coast to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, or I was going to ask if it was California. Yeah. It was um, this compound I lived on in New Mexico. Um, mm. I did the Roswell Artist Residency, which is a year year long residency in Roswell, um, and it culminates in this museum show there in Roswell. And they have a really great community; they're very supportive, lovely humans, all of them. And um, it was like such an important year because I made a ton of work. Yeah, uh, had my first museum show. Oh, nice. that. Yeah. And uh, it was just awesome to live out there. They have like the craziest creatures. They have this like black lobster looking thing called vinegaroons. Have you ever heard of them? No. They get to be like quite big, like as big as your palm. And they don't hurt humans, but they like go to battle with scorpions and they shoot uh, this acid from their tail. Whoa. <laughs> um, but that they, but you can put them on your like your hand and stuff. Um, and a lot of people like keep them as pets. And, oh my god! What are they um, called? What are they called? Again? Vinegar runes. Yeah, look them up. They're vinegar. They're runes. scary. Yeah. Oh wow! Oh yeah, those are those are terrifying. There are tons of them around. Um, I encourage uh, anyone listening to look uh, look up vinegar runes if you're not familiar with it. These look like sci-fi monsters. And there are also like tons of tarantulas, but the tarantulas yeah. were like so <laughs> fragile. Like they would yeah. often just, you'd find them just like dead for no reason and drained of all their fluids, you know, <laughs> like, like they fall off the wall and then die. And then they would just like all the fluid would go out of them. It was very Ooh. strange. They also had these like centipedes, like, um, that looked prehistoric. They were huge. And apparently their bite felt like, you know, being shot, you know, it was very bad, um, bite, but a lot of, very fascinating creatures out there. I feel like this is, is it, could this possibly be a whole new series for you of just <laughs> of like such terrifying creatures, terrifying um, creatures. Yeah, maybe, maybe I don't know. It was really <laughs> cool to live out there. I there was this um uh bird. Uh, what was it called? It was like a an an bird refuge. It wasn't really a refuge. It was just like a place reserved for birds. I forget what it was called. I can't remember anything right now. But um. But in certain seasons, you'd have like hundreds and hundreds of birds flocking in and nesting in this like they they control the level of the water. So there'd be like just I've never seen like piles and piles of like snow geese come in or sandhill cranes come in wow. and just like in these huge flocks in the evenings. It was quite striking, and that was like right by the compound that we lived in out there. But uh, yeah, I think I think it should be your next series. <laughs> You're well. You're 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 talking so excitedly about about these creatures. I, I'd I'd love to see the the way that you would render them. Sure, sure, yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> um, uh, one more question. Just touching on on these exteriors. You also have like these snowy scenes. Um, there's one that's untitled, but that's also it. it it's at least on your site, there's no title. Yeah, for my it. title, I my I, my site might have a lot of <laughs> wrong information. Um, <laughs> it was well, it it's it's an exterior of a house of a house with a with a snowy front yard, but it okay. also it also had had kind of an atmosphere to it that kind of uh, it was a winter version to me of the of the um, spotted lantern fly graveyard mm, okay. with that that kind of feel to it mm-hmm. with the lighting and the shadows. But then you have a straight up. Um, like wintry landscape, uh, crime, po- crime podcast. Yeah. Which uh, is the really the, kind of an outlier with, with the, with what I've seen of your work. It is. What inspired that? Um, is it actually a crime podcast that <laughs> took place no, in a snowy landscape? No, it's just, um, or, <laughs> I'm, I'm a runner and, uh, you know, I take photos on my run sometimes. And that was just, you know, I, I listen to a lot of true crime, um, just can't get enough of it for some reason quite fascinated by it um so and often on these trips and you know i grew up in in queens so i like i didn't have like a ton of like forest experience so the the forest and you know any kind of grown-up woods like feels pretty scary to me <laughs> um and, and so unknown uh i spent a lot of time in um rural northern michigan uh and it was like the first time i had had a lot of experience with the woods um but 
Yeah, I just I saw the scene on a run in like I think it was just north of Boston. Um and it just seemed very frightening to me like it this sort of fro- frozen landscape with all this, you know, uh tree debris everywhere and it just struck my fancy. I guess I like I love a tree stump. Um <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um are there many other tree stump depictions in your work? I don't think I've seen many. No. <laughs> um, There's something sort of melancholy about a tree stump that yeah, I... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, then you're into pri- uh, a crime podcast and then snowy, you know, woods and there's, you know, who who knows yeah. what could be buried out there. Yeah, yeah. That, that that tracks, that fits. Um, well, you know, actually uh, another scary scene, uh, but this is not nature, but it's your 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 piece Deluge from 2021. Oh yeah, which looks like it's like like this bomb going off on the side of a building, sure, or a portal to another dimension. Yeah, this also is kind of an outlier, I think, in some of your work. I haven't seen anything quite like this one. This is almost this is, and also there are um, you know uh, COVID style masks on the yeah on the uh, ground. So obviously. COVID was some kind of influence on, on this topically. Yeah. It's a, it's a view from a car window, um, oh. during a, like a very rainy. Oh, they're on the dashboard. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Mass. Okay. Yeah. I see that. Yeah. And that's just like a high rise in, in oh, my so neighborhood. Because it's because the, the windshield's wet. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. why. It, yeah. Cause it looks like the building's kind of melting. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was at a residency when I was making that painting and someone came into <clears throat> Uh, my studio was like, you know, were you thinking of, remember that in Miami, that building was collapsing? Oh yeah. Um, I f- can't remember the name of the building, but it like, it was, it was so scary to, to watch that process. Um, and them trying to find, you know, find survivors and that all that. Yeah. yeah. And so this person who came to my studio was like, were you thinking about that? And I was like, not at all, but, but totally I was. And that was a big part of it. And I just, I, I just wanted to create like a really scary painting. It is, it is scary. Oh, and, <laughs> Um, uh, not obvious from a car, or at least to me from a windshield, but now that you pointed out, I see the rear, the, the, you know, the rear view mirror and the dashboard and yeah, yeah, no, it's just, it's just cool. I just wanted to ask you about it because, cause this is like your, your like disaster painting, but even, you didn't, even, even though he didn't mean it to necessarily depict that. Yeah. It was, that was a yeah. crazy day just driving around. Cause there were all these, like, um, there must've been like, a. Oh. A water main break or something because there was like all this fountains of water coming out, you know, from holes in the street. Where, oh, wow. Yeah, it was really, it felt like a disaster movie, actually. <laughs> it was like one of those days where it's raining so hard, it's actually scary, you know, to drive. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. The windshield wipers can't go quick enough to, yeah. to be able to see. All right. Well, so um, is there anything else you, you wanted to touch on uh, in terms of your, your approach to your work or, or what are you working on right now? Have you started any any kind of – have you switched gears into any other new series or what's your focus right now? Um, I have started some some new work. Um, my, my studio is totally open, uh, empty right now, which is such a weird experience for me. Um I started some new ones uh, that are basically scenes around my neighborhood, uh, but I've I've also been trying to set up things to to paint, and I usually don't do that. Usually, I just come across um, images that I want to work with out in the world. But um, but I've started in in my home to put together these scenarios and putting things un- that are anomalous to a certain room in there, you know, and just trying to change the the context of that object by displacing it. Um, but I think like maybe the next step is to, you know, build still lives um, and work from, not work from direct observation, but work from photos of these still lives that I'm making. Um, but we'll see. It's very, it's very new as a approach for me. So I'm has that, sure. has that made you consider doing more like installation or kind of sculptural work? Um, I don't, I, I think it will, the ultimate work will always be painting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but, but yeah, I have a, I have an interest in installation. Like my, my partner, I've been talking a, a lot about, we, I, I make these, um, paper mache cats as like a, <laughs> a, a side thing that I've been doing for a while. Um, 
Have you ever shown these? No, I, I, like no, like a hobby. It's just, it's just a hobby. It's like something (laughs) to do when I'm not sure what to do. And at the moment in my studio, it's just something to like have my hands do something. But, um, um, you know, yeah, paper shea is so so versatile and like you, you get it strong enough. You can like drill it with, you know, a power, a power drill. So it's like, um, I, I, I love the look of it and how clunky and clumsy it is and how you know, inexpensive and accessible the materials are. And, um, yeah, I just like making these clunky cats, but yeah, I probably won't ever show Clunk- it. I- That's the name of the, that, there you go. That's clunky the name cats. of the series. If you show it, clunky cats. Yeah. I've well, never really showed it. I probably, I probably shouldn't Truth be told, but, um, <laughs> that they're fun to noodle, noodle around with for sure. Well, this just got me thinking that there is something about your work that seems like it would fit into more of like a dial, uh, dial, dial, diorama. I can't speak either. Apparently diorama, <laughs> right. Uh, sure. Format. Sure. Yeah. I love, you know? I love dioramas. I could, I could see little diorama kind of, uh, pieces. Cause there already is like, as we talked about the multiple levels with the, you know, with the, the and flatness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that the yeah that that's something I, that I could see coming in, into it. You know, when I start to build stuff, but we'll see. I'm not. I'm really not sure what any of that's going to look like or where it's going to take me. Um, but that, but that's that's the beauty of it, right? Yeah, you don't wanna, yeah. You don't yeah. want to plan it out too much. You want to see. No. Maybe it, maybe if the impulse grabs you when you're doing it, hey, this could go somewhere. And everything needs to feel impossible in the beginning. It has to feel like something that I like yeah. don't know how to do or don't know how to resolve. Um, because that's interesting and exciting to work on then. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. This is reminding me of, I, I, d- I did a podcast interview with this artist, uh, Ryan Sarah Murphy, who does cardboard. Yeah. I heard. Sculptures. I that one, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> and you've looked at the work, I'm yeah. sure. Um, there's something about those works, even though, you know, uh, you know, they're quite different from what you're doing, but the layers of the cardboard and, and sort of the geometry of it, there's something about it that, that kind of, it connects, I think, with your style hmm. to me, sure. anyways. So, yeah, that just came to my mind when we were talking about this. Um, and so, any other any other shows coming up that you know of, or any pieces in in anything that you want to talk about? Or no, I mean, uh, okay. that's all she wrote. Yeah, um, okay. I don't have anything planned. I just want to work on this a new body of work, and yeah. you know, it would be nice to just start start and continue working on something new. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, it was great talking with you, Siobhan. Thank you. And also pleasure. The, well, my pleasure as well. Um, and also thanks to those of you out there listening. Um, you can check out the online edition of interlocutor magazine at interlocutorinterviews.com. Also check for updates on Instagram. It's at interlocutor.interviews. And once again, if you're a fan of our arts coverage, um, you can sign up to be a subscriber or, you know, just throw a few bucks our way via Patreon. Um, if you, in fact, uh, feel like being an art patron, feel free to <laughs> support, um, the, the magazine, uh, and the Patreon link is on our site and I will be back soon with another interlocutor interviews podcast episode. And once more, thank you, Siobhan. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.